The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transformed their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning and welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business magazine. My guest today is Sharon Harris. She is the owner of Napa Valley's Rare Cat Wines, and she's turned her life's passion into a thriving business. And now she's committed to helping other women entrepreneurs be successful too. She formed a group called Wine Entrefemmes, comprised of some of the most remarkable women in wine, and recently launched a women's palette, which is a company that celebrates Wines by Women for Women. Today, Sharon joins us to talk about how women can use the power of the wine list to achieve their business goals. Welcome, Sharon. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm very excited. And just in full disclosure to our audience today, uh, Sharon and I have met a couple of different times. I've been out and visited her winery and uh I, I absolutely love what you do, Sharon. Not not only your wines, but what you're doing outside of that to help women, other women winery owners as well as women business owners to use the power of wine to accomplish whatever it is that they set out to do. So thank you for doing that. I really, oh. really, really, really like your story. And, and along those lines, before we delve into um, how you can use the wine list to uh, get a competitive edge in business. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about you? What's the Sharon Harris story? What was your journey that led you to the world of wine? Well, uh, it, it, it's a well. <laughs> it started a long time ago. It's a, those years are cooking by. But I, I had been from a very young age, very, um, very passionate about speaking French. And when I was a junior at UCLA, I had the opportunity to spend my junior year abroad. And at the time, I, I was graduated actually in economics, and so as a result of my major, I ended up going to Bordeaux. And I came from a family that was not a wine family; they were a traditional '70s family, and you know, it was more cocktails and poo-poos than any any wine on the table. Mm-hmm. And so when I arrived to Bordeaux, I had no wine experience, um, but I was quite smart, and I realized, uh, being in the center of the wine world, that uh, when people asked me if I liked wine, I said absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a smart decision. And, yes. um, and because of that, I had one of these uh, life-changing experiences. And I think anyone who has a great passion for wine has a wine epiphany. They have their first experience that really changes their, you know, their opinions about wine. And mine was a remarkable one. It was a miserable November day. Only Bordeaux could have these kind of low-level skies that make you feel like the sky is touching the earth. It's it's, it's that kind of that kind of um, that kind of overcast weather. And I walked down a long lane, uh, knocked on the door, and it was Chateau Aubryon, which is one of the greatest wine um, wine chateaus in the world. It's a Bordeaux first growth. It's been around since the 17th, uh, 17th century. Wow. And I spent the morning with a legendary guy, Monsieur Dan Mass Sr., who's now retired. His son um, actually runs the winery. 
And it was 1983, and I was able to taste the 82, the legendary 82 vintage out of the barrel, and some older vintages as well. And it was really interesting. I, I didn't know what I was tasting really in the glass. I didn't know how it got there or what it was there or what was in that glass, but I knew it was remarkable, and I knew it was so remarkably special to have the ability to taste something so rare and so beautiful. It was my epiphany, and from that day, I've been obsessed with wines. That's a deep passion of mine. And went back to France and actually worked for a very, very famous two-star chef. Um, lived with a family that sold was the number one cheese sellers in France. And so, really, my my love of food and wine started at a, a young age. But the you know the California wine industry in the early 80s was just coming into its own, and the you know the famous 76 tastings where the California wines beat the, out the French wines really right. launched. You know the, the the wine industry here goes back 200 years, 150 years, but that was really kind of a rebirth for California. But in the early 80s, there weren't that many opportunities, and so I ended up going into more traditional businesses and publishing and advertising and, and technology, the internet. And what was interesting about my experience is I had this passion for wine, and it was fairly unique back then. And as a result, I always got the wine list. All of my peers always defaulted to me. Of course, I jumped on that opportunity. And what I found indirectly is how much the success, and I was in sales and marketing and business development, but how much my success really came from that you know, ordering wine, that love of wine, the breaking of the ice, being able to talk about wine. Because in business, very often, if you don't golf, it really is finding a common theme, and wine is one of those those themes. Right. And how much credibility I got at the uh, at the table by pulling my seat up to the table and talking wine, and how everyone would was willing and wanted to actually always go out with me because they always knew they were going to get a good bottle. <laughs> so it's well, you, know, you also took you probably also took a little bit of embarrassment away from some people who are like, oh, thank goodness we're with Sharon. I don't have to look at this and end up ordering something crummy in front of everybody. You know? Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, my my boss is wonderful man. And, you know, would always joke. He said, I, I, I swear, you know, we've paid for your wine education. <laughs> and I think that there's a, that some truth to that. But luckily, I was also very successful in business, and so that they were willing to willing to do that. But, you know, it was one of those things, looking back at how powerful that tool was. And it wasn't a tool I knew that was in my toolbox. It was just something that was a, a derivative of a passion. And, yes. and being young and being from California, but being able to really, my knowledge at that time was uniquely Bordeaux wines. And I was just coming into my own to to realize the magnificent wines of California. But I had this, you know, I had this unique position to be able to talk about something, and um, it was it was something that really did contribute to the, you know, to you know, it was one of the things that contributed to my success in business. Um, but the passion for wine goes way back at um, now three spans three decades. Well, and you know, we like I said, we were out at her winery earlier this year, and 
we got the whole story from you then, uh, which was fascinating. But fast forward just a little bit. How did you eventually get out of um, advertising and publishing in IT? And you opened an, a winery called Amici, which you still are co-owner of. I understand, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so how did you how did you make the leap? What what was the transition point? Yeah, so in 92, um, we, uh, a group of friends really got together and started uh, making, uh, we didn't make the wines. I, I was actually on the uh, cork, uh, cork and Labeler. Uh, that was my my contribution early on to Amici Stellars. But as it grew and it became, became a really commercially viable and, and interesting winery, probably about 96, 97, the first three or four years was really your tra- traditional garage-type operation. And then uh, we had great fortune. I, I was a VP of sales for an Internet startup company called Ink to Me that luckily had some tremendous success behind it, which gave us the financial opportunity to buy the majority of share of Michi Sellers. And I guess that was about 98, 99. And um, that was where we started to become more deeply involved with the winery from an operations and, um, an operations and financing stance. And then um, in the, for both uh, my husband and I had spent a number of years outside of the U- United States. All of our business, most of my business career was based on international business. And so there was a tremendous desire to live outside of the U.S. with our children and have them exposed to different cultures and different languages. And because at that time we had a deep passion to move um, um, full-time into the wine industry, we went back to Bordeaux, which has always been my kind of beloved second home, and we studied wine at the University of Bordeaux. There's a very famous program there called the Duad, which is the Diplôme Université d'Aptitude de Dégustation, which is a, I kind of um, it, the analogy would be like an executive MBA program. Okay, it's a condensed four-year analogy program, kind of packed into one and geared towards people who already are um, professionals in the wine industry. Okay. And it's taught, uh, it's actually taught in French. And I, I simply believe and know that it may have been the most difficult thing I have ever accomplished. Because one, you know, I, I, had, I had kids and right. I hadn't studied in years. I mean, not that kind of detailed, sure. focused studying where you had to retain information. Yes. <laughs> and yes. so here I'm studying in French, you know, 23 bacteria of infection and why they grow in wines and thinking, oh, what am I doing? You know, but in, it turned out to be one of these life-changing experiences um, and uh, really put us on a different footing in terms of just, you know, just tremendous impact of being able to make wine and, and to understand the, the components of what come into a glass. Remarkable program. And so we, um, but in that class, about 50% of the people in the class were women and 50% were men. But what became very clear to me and my love of Bordeaux is that um, most of the women in the wine industry aren't supported there. Um, there's no community among themselves, nor does the industry really support support women. It's, it's an industry that dates back 500 years, and yes. it's been a male-dominated industry for, for most of those. But when I looked at the Bordeaux wine industry and I looked at some of the great wineries and the wines that I loved, most of them or several of them were run by women, and I felt that the, the women were really creative, much more open to different conversation points, and much more eager to actually look at new models and new ideas and new ways to market wines. And so I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could bring these amazing women from Bordeaux to Napa, Napa much shorter history in terms of, you know, we don't have 500 years of history in Napa, but a very solid history, 
Yes. But women have participated and helped um, craft that history in Napa, and we have some amazing women in wine who have really touched the quality aspect and the development of Napa. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to connect these two groups? And yes. so I did. And that was how Wine Ultra Femme came about. It came about many years ago, and 11 women um, came from Bordeaux, leap of faith, got on a plane, oh. and we took care of them the whole time they were in Napa, and they met over the course of three to four days, um, they met about 40 women in the wine industry in Napa, and it was um, it was tremendous. It, it changed uh, it really changed their lives, and they went back and started a community that still thrives today. And from that, we were invited as a group of Napa to go to Bordeaux. A remarkable opportunity, hosted by about probably about 60 to 70 women in the wine industry in Bordeaux. And then the third year, we had about 25, 30 women from around the world come to Napa for a peer-to-peer, non-competitive um, group where we brought in experts in the wine industry and helped educate ourselves to really kind of promote and improve the industry. And that was kind of that was the start of it all. And um, and from well, that, um, a network of that's. Yeah, I was just going to say that's news to me. I didn't realize that uh, Wine Entre Femmes was an international organization. I thought it was something that you started in California to support the women uh, wine growers, winemakers in California. But the the international aspect of that that's news to me. How how uh, what what a great collaboration. It, it, it's been, it's been, it's really been remarkable. But I, I will say that kind of with the morphing of wine entre femme, and in fact at Nabo, um, as uh, we were invited, uh, as you know, to to come and pour wines, the wine entre femme group to come down to national conference in San Diego last year. Right. And there, uh, and Nabo is an amazing organization. Thank you. And, and we're looking forward to having you back in Louisville. Oh. I cannot wait. Um, And then, you know, but it was there that we connected and met uh, another great group of um, that support women, uh, WeBank, which is uh, an organization that helps support women business owners. And they approached us um, because they loved what we were doing in terms of really reaching out and helping women in the wine industry and this great peer-to-peer network and this non-competitive element of really supporting women and asked us, in essence, to create a wine club um, from wines of uh, women-owned wineries. And so, in essence, Wine Entre Femme has now morphed as a result of that opportunity and being able to to make that opportunity come to fruition um, into something that uh, we've named a women's palette. And we launched a women's palette in June, really excited about it, uh, a women's palette has uh, a couple core and important, I think, mission statements. One is to help support women in the wine industry mm-hmm. and help them, women in the industry, develop their stories and, more importantly, get their stories out. These women are amazing on so many fronts, but very often don't tell their story, and it takes someone else to help really draw that out and get that message out. And yeah. then on the the flip side, which I think is is something so critically important for me, is is really help help helping women um, change um, the way they think about wine, and potentially provide them um, great information to build confidence and reduce intimidation about buying fine wines. Um, an interesting statistic for you: less than five percent of the industry is comprised of women, 
uh, in the wine industry. So we're a small percentage of it, but I think a, that, an important that California or is that worldwide? That's worldwide, worldwide, worldwide. and wow. and um, it, it's about five percent. Um, and then when you look at but you look at some interesting statistics on the consumer side. So sixty percent of all wine in the United States, multi-billion-dollar market, is bought by women. Now under seventeen dollars, eighty percent of wine is bought by women. But when you go out to Napa and Sonoma, and Napa and Sonoma are, are really considered very fine wine-producing regions. Yes, I mean, Napa yes. produces maybe 3% of the total production of wine in California, but is about 35 40% of the revenue. So sure. tremendous quality in Sonoma, tremendous quality in wines out in um, these two, two regions. When you ask women who own wineries here what percentage of women buy their wines um, on their mailing list, it's usually less than 1% almost never more than 5%. So, so, women of my, tend, so women tend to gravitate towards the lower cost wines. Is yeah. what is, is the okay. All right. Yeah. And I and so I have this tremendous passion and um this t- tremendous belief that women are high I believe that they deserve to drink nice wines. I do believe that there's a lot of reasons why that's important, but none more than important for women, professional executive women, who business is a part of their, uh, an important part of their lives. And so that's one of my missions is really to help women understand fine wines, to incorporate it not only in their personal lives but in their business lives, and to reach kind of executive professional women to help provide information, access to amazing wine, support women in the wine industry, and empower women uh, in business through wine. So Right. And you, you've created an entire program around that called Don't Give Up the Wine List. I just love that. <laughs> yeah. and, and and so is that a seminar? Is that a book? Is it a combination of things? Tell us well, a little bit about that. Well, it is a little bit of a combination of things. Um, uh, early this year I was asked to write uh, by a, a woman who's a New York Times bestselling author, was asked to write a, uh, a book, uh, to co-author a book with her, which we're in the process of doing uh, on women and wine. And it was this concept of don't give up the wine list, uh, around this concept of don't give up the wine list. But we also have been asked by a number of women's organizations and different uh, different organizations in general, from retailers all the way to large organizations, um, to to really get over, to really talk to women in a different tone, in a different way, very respectfully, um, about wine and how to um, some strategies about ordering wine. And so the idea of don't give up the wine list is something I created a while back. It is a seminar. It can go from 20 minutes. And go, can, it can go to two hours. It, it, it's comprised of really talking about what wine is and demystifying some of the elements of wine. It talks about strategies um, at a business env- in a business environment or a charity environment. Any environment is if you have or you're presented with a wine list with hundreds of options, how do you choose one option that's going to be successful for you with with confidence? Mm-hmm. And then um, it also usually incorporates, of course, a wine tasting because what would it be without a wine tasting? You make a good point because earlier you were quoting some statistics about how 60% of all wines are bought by women, yet um, 85% of women buy wines that are under $17, and so they're they're yeah. gravitating towards the lower-priced wines, yet when you do the tastings, from what you've told me before, women, even if they don't know which is which, they, they always tend to prefer the finer, uh, smaller, batched wineries, and, and so the palate is there. It's just that they, don't, they just don't trust themselves. 
themselves to make that investment, oh, I yeah, guess is right. what you could say, into yeah. that higher-end wine. You know, so. it, I love doing Sorry wine tastings. It's, it, it, it's, it's one of my favorite things in the world to do. I love engaging and talking to people about wine and helping people discover wines. It, it's just, it's it's like it, it, I'm being paid to do something I love to do, <laughs> in essence. Well, um, uh, But what's so interesting in my experience, and this is, uh, you know, having done tastings with uh, hundreds of women, is very often women will come up to the tasting table and say, you know, I really don't know that much about wine, and I call it the half-truth. Really, they do have excellent palates. Across the board, I find that women have tremendous palates um, for tasting fine wines, but very often they lack the confidence. So the whole truth is typically the intimidation or confidence around um, purchasing wine, and it's not their palates. Um, so what is interesting is, is I think if you – we talk about wine in a general term, and but the wine industry is really very different on um, from fine wines to. I really think that they're more, you know, really beverage wines, and there's no bad or good. They're just right. made in very different ways. Right. You know, wines that are usually or under ten dollars or under fifteen dollars. The economics of making that wine and how you make that wine is very different. It's, you know, they're usually big tank farms. There, there's not a lot of human intervention. They're crafting wines to meet a certain palate. So wines are interchangeable year per year. But when you kind of move up the scale and you you have a fine wine and you know that's been crafted and touched by someone who just has a deep love for wine, I think it does change your appreciation for what's in the glass. And I know from experience that when you open something you know is special, especially for women, I think they change their experience around that wine and they change their relationship to the people around them because they share it with the people around them. And so that's what's, I think, the most important thing that women miss out when they they don't actually value enough the, the time and experience of opening something that's really unique and fine. It changes the moment in time. I, I like to say, if, you know, I can change a bad day to a good day with one <laughs> glass of good wine. <laughs> you absolutely can. And you're absolutely <laughs> right about that relationship, too, though. Yeah. Um, as you know, we took our daughter to uh, our, you know, on our trip to California this past spring for the first time, and she could never understand why her dad and I were felt so passionately about wine and why we were so interested in it. But after being there and after meeting people like you, when she looks at a bottle of wine now, all of that comes to mind. It's not just a bottle of wine on the shelf that she's looking at in a store. She she understands. Now, what goes into the making, and the fact, you know, what what can uh, ruin your season, and what what um, you know, all the care and the nurturing and so forth that go into the decisions that are made at very critical points, uh, from you know, this is the day we have to harvest to, uh, you know, how long it ferments. I mean, all of that, and and she gets it now. So, so you're absolutely right about the appreciation makes an awful lot of difference too, in you know, in in the appreciating the wine. It it really did with her. I need to ask you, I don't I don't want to get you to give away all your secrets today, but yes, women women often have trouble whether it's reading the labels, whether it's the lack of confidence, just not trusting themselves. They you know, they're they're maybe a little reluctant and, and will very quickly if if they're handed the wine list pass it off to somebody else in the party. Uh so what what are a couple of easy to remember tips or tricks that you can give us about 
ordering wine, just, just today for our listeners. Absolutely. And, and just to give you, uh, I mean, to, to, to put into perspective, I, I live and breathe wine all the time. It is not unusual that I can go into a restaurant and not recognize one of the labels or one of the producers. It is it is intimidating, and you know here it's everything I do. Now I I don't lack a, a confidence or intimidation around wine, but but I also understand and see what you have so many choices, and um, wine isn't your primary focus. It can be intimidating about how to find the right wine. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things I remind women of, or I remind anyone is. Ultimately, at the end of the day, in a restaurant, when you're ordering a bottle of wine, and I'm not talking about with friends or family or or something, but I'm talking about in an environment like a business environment where every element of what you do in crafting an environment matters to potentially your success. And so the more you, you know, in those high-stakes environments, you know, how do you get to, to, you know, how do you get the right answer? And the first thing I remind women of, you don't need to know everything on the wine list. You just need to make one choice or possibly two. And so even though there's many choices out there, you don't actually need to know everything. You just need to be able to find maybe one white, one red, maybe one bubbles. That's it. I mean, and so I kind of, you know, that's the first thing. Is let's take the overwhelming aspect out of it. I, the, the, the first and foremost thing that I like to – there's a couple strategies that I, I like to use. It, for me personally, and, and in certain states this doesn't work, but many states it doesn't. If I really want to make a statement and it's an important business function, I very often will bring a bottle of wine where I know the – well, it's easy for me to say, but I know the winemaker or I know the story, but but – Anyone can do that. Your daughter can do that now. I've met this person. I went to Napa. I, I, I Let me tell you about her. And all of a sudden, when you put that bottle of wine down on the table, you know, that um, it, it really starts a conversation. And I think it, that's a great strategy if you don't feel comfortable going into a restaurant. Again, that's state by state, and you have to ask your restaurant. And it's very fair to to actually pay a cork each fee and ask respectfully of the restaurant to do that. But in a big environment, I would do that. The second thing is most restaurants, especially on the high end, um, have phenomenal sommeliers. Sommeliers are there because they know their wines, they've crafted their wine lists. I always use a sommelier because I have tremendous confidence. I often go in and I will describe to a sommelier this is the types of wines I'm looking for. These are the styles of wines that I drink at home that I enjoy. Here is the price range um, I'm considering. What would you say on or off the list is your most recommended wine that's great for drinking right now? And so very often we get nervous about asking for help as women, yet the first place I turn to is uh, especially in a restaurant with someone who's a specialist, I turn to the sommelier. And I do that offline. If it's a business environment, I very often will literally turn my body and my head and have that private conversation with a sommelier to the side mm-hmm. um, in order to be able to have that exchange. Or better yet, um, and very often what I've done in the past is I call the restaurant before I go yes, and I, yes. I talk about it. And right. it's, they're, it, they're more than happy to help. Most right. fine dining restaurants. So I talk to the sommelier and say, I'm coming in. This is, a, a, is an important dinner for me. Um, I don't know your wine list. Um, can I talk about some of the things that you have? And I have that conversation before I actually even walk in the door. 
super right. easy to do and you uh and, and so that's that's one of them. that that's another strategy if i don't have those elements available to me i call it what i look for is um i look for best of class and this is where it gets into opinions and palettes change and opinions change and there's no wrong or right but if i only if it's important and i need to find a wine that is i, I can trust is always best of class what I tend to do is I look at regions that are best of class where I know everything from that region is going to be fantastic yes. versus having to know an individual producer. Sure. And um, now, and again, let's go back to the scenario. It's a big, important meeting. I only need to know one mm-hmm. bottle of wine, and I don't know what's – it's a, a complex wine list. Well, in that scenario, I'm going to stick with a Chardonnay from Burgundy or Russian River across yes. the board. Yes, if you want I'm old world or a new world wine. Old right. world. A, a Cabernet, well, the, it's not to say there's lots of great places that produce. Cab is king in Napa. The best yes. cabs in the world come from Napa. Yep. I would stick with a cab from, from Napa. I happen to know Bordeaux inside and out. I would also choose a wine from Bordeaux. But you need to know a little bit more about your regions in Bordeaux because it's yes. Appalachian and not varietal. If it's a Pinot, again, I stick to Sonoma or I stick to um, to, to Burgundy. If it's a Syrah, I'm going to stick to Cote d'Aron uh, because that's where you know that's where it's great. If it's a Sauvignon Blanc, um, this is gets touchy because there's so many regions that do Sauvignon Blanc. I tend to like a Sauvignon Blanc from Napa and Bordeaux because okay. I like the complexity, and I, I like I like the complexity and aromatics that those regions give me. You know, if it's if it's um, if it's bubbles, I'm going to stick to a champagne, or I'm going to stick to Sonoma or Napa, mm-hmm. because yeah. I love the Chardonnays from those regions, and the cooler weathers down by Canero. So, part of me is what I do if I have to stick to best of class. I'm going to choose uh, noble grapes. I'm going to choose Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, or Cabernet, or Pinot, mm-hmm. and I'm going to stick to best of class regions. Um, and um, that may limit things, but again, going back to the perspective, uh, that's how I'm going to do it if I have to make a critical choice, and it's one wine, and it's a business environment. Right. And, and talk yeah. just for a minute about this, too. You know, there's always the old saying or the old advice that, uh, you know, if you're going to uh, have beef and, and heavy food, then you need to go with a red. If it's uh, something oh, lighter, chicken absolutely. or... Uh, so, so talk to us about whether that still holds up or not. Yeah, absolutely holds up. Holds up. And you know, I believe in experimentation. I believe actually in trying lots of different wines. I, I encourage women to find their palates and try lots of wines. Again, you know, if there's a time and place in knowing what you need to wear on a certain for a certain meeting or knowing when to experiment and what not. That that's that's your best knowledge. What I would say is there's a really, really easy rule of thumb, and it's something, again, there's exceptions to every rule, but if you have something, if you your protein is white, and here's the easiest rule of thumb to ever remember, if your protein is white, drink a white wine. If your protein is red, drink a red wine. It's as easy as that. And so, and, and even to the variety, if I have a light red, like a salmon, which is actually more pink, it's kind of right. a tinted red, I drink a light red with a pinot yes. if i have a heavy red like a lamb or a steak i'm going to drink a heavy red wine like a uh, like a cabernet or syrah 
Mm-hmm. And, and the same thing for whites. I can go from shellfish all the way to a light pork or uh, a fowl like a chicken or turkey. So there's a really easy rule of thumb. White equals white, red equals red. And then you can just, you know, the, the, the more intense the white, the more intense the white wine should be. The more intense the red meat is, the more intense the red. red and it works it works almost across the board, without exception. That, that is and, a wonderful way to remember. It's right? as easy as that. I mean, and it's 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 kind of like the the ABC song: white equal white, red equal red. <laughs> and then, of course, you always come across someone who goes, "Well, I'm a vegetarian," because <laughs> yeah. I'm from California, of course. And so, and you know, and so I do laugh with a vegetarian. And I think that you know, the rule of thumb is. Most vegetarian meals are based on spices. Or a lot of gorgeous cuisines are based on heavy spices. I just would stick to the whites with any type of vegetarian meal. And, again, it's not to say other things can't be paired with it. I would do that in a, um, because of my knowledge base. But, again, if I had a vegetarian meal that's usually based in some sort of Asian or some sort of Indian or some sort of um, spicy cuisine, I would stick with um, I would stick with a white and one of the heavier whites, is, um, like a Sauvignon Blanc or uh, or, or like a Gorchtermin or, or, or a, a lovely Riesling that has that. Yes. So, yeah, so vegetarian stays white. Well, Man, to, con- to conclude here today, you have been a wealth of knowledge, by the way. It's been <laughs> wonderful talking to you. And that's why I'm going to ask you the next question. In order to, if, if I wanted to go through your program, don't give up the wine list. If I'm a listener here today and I want, okay, I, I've heard some really good stuff here. Now I want to take a deeper dive. Uh, do I have to come out to California to do that? Do you travel with the program? How how can I uh, get in on that? How can you get in that? That's a great question. Um, we there's there's several things we're doing. You know, wine is about high touch. Um, I think it's about contact and high touch, and really reaching out and hopefully being in front of a lot of people. If it's an organization like a women's organization like NABU or or like WeBank, um, we would love to have conversations with larger organizations or corporations who want to educate their executives. Um, you know, very often. We're more than happy to come out and craft a program and look at an opportunity to come and do that uh, in other markets. Mm-hmm. We're also developing our 2013 uh, schedule where we'll be in uh, 10 markets over 12 months. Okay. And so there will be an opportunities in certain markets, hopefully that we'll have um, a, a seminar, Don't Give Up the Wine List, and people can join us. Yeah. Uh, but you can come to the site. Uh, it's called A Women's... Like? Oh, it's uh, a women's palette, so A W O M A N S P A L A T E. So a women's palette, and you can actually uh, shoot us an email. There's a form say, saying "Don't give up the wine list," and send us an email, and we can start a dialogue um, to that. I'd also love to encourage uh, women. Um, we are starting a program. It's it's being defined now. Everything uh, as in, in a lot of new uh, um, new uh, new businesses, we're defining some of the the neat programs that we'll be launching for next year. But we do have a, a program called WP10. It's our ambassador program. We believe that the power of wine is connecting with others and developing relationships. We think that that's the power of wine. And and it and it's just it being around a table and being able to start conversations is how ideas form and relationships form and trust yes. forms. So we believe that if you can touch the lives of ten people, that we we as women can really do some great things and change Absolutely. the world. So our WP10 program is our ambassador program. 
it's uh, designed for women in business or women who are running charities and um it's a i guess it's a unique way for women to sign up and become our ambassadors and 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 get our message out and in exchange get their messages out and become part of a really wonderful uh, community of women who want to empower other women who love uh, love wine and love the idea of connecting with other women around the table and so i would encourage women listeners to come to the site and and sign up for um the wp10 it's 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 free it's um and then become part of our community. We would love that too. Okay, and that's out at the same website, a women's palette dot a woman's palette dot com. That's correct. That's correct. Yes. So and then um, go ahead. That provides access to a lot of amazing women winery owners if they come out to Napa, helping craft some programs for them to visit women who own wineries, and meet women winemakers, as well as to be included and invited to WP10 dinners around the nation that they may, uh, and, and again, have exposure to some pretty rare, pretty phenomenal wines that they may not get access to in their local markets. Right, right. Well, and what's your book due out? Oh, it's a, that's, a, that's a longer process. That's about an 18. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like to say um, it's about an 18-month process um, to, okay. to actually uh, write and publish it. So uh, we're, I, I would say, about 18 months. But okay. my co-author is an amazing woman, Talar Mazeo, who wrote a, a couple fabulous. She actually has a book coming out, um, another book coming out, but her one book was called Widow Clico, which is a great story about the widow who took over Vaux Clico and changed the champagne industry, actually um, came up with some strategies for the champagne industry that changed and put Vaux on the map, a really gorgeous history about a woman in, a woman in wine. And then her second book was about uh, a lot to do with Coco Chanel, was the history of Chanel Number no. 5. Okay. So it is such a pleasure to uh, to get a chance to write uh, this book with Talar and her experience as a great writer. So it's it I I I hope it'll be something compelling and that everyone want, will want to read. But we're about two two years away from it being published. Okay, well, so we're looking at probably sometime late 2013 or sometime in 2014. Yes. Then, well, we'll just have to have you back on the show. <laughs> Or whenever that comes out. <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, all of you who are interested in more information can go out to a women's palette.com, get more information, and there's also information about WP10, the Ambassadors Program, and I assume that you're going to have your list uh, of where you're going to be in 2013 up on that site fairly soon? We are. Uh, if you could give us about 30 more days. Okay. So check, everybody check back in 30 days if you're interested in seeing whether or not Sharon will be uh, in your area during that time. And, and as she said, you can also fill out the form, and there may be um, opportunities other than those 10 planned stops where, where you can uh, enjoy the knowledge that she has about this. So, Sharon, it's been wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for sharing today, and good luck on everything that you're doing. And I will see you in Louisville very soon. Uh, looking forward to that. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. Thank you. Take care. And for all of those listening today, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Join us here at 11 o'clock next Friday when we host Denise Brousseau, who is an executive in, uh, I almost said Napa Valley, Silicon Valley, and she's going to talk to you about how you can make the transition from being a leader of your company to being a thought leader in your industry, much like Sharon has done. So all of you take care, and we'll see you next week. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.